passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The world has ended. I am John Pollock alongside Waiting, and welcome to our review of the final pay-per-view of 2023 from Long Island, New York. How are you tonight, Way? Um, I'm I'm okay overall. Maybe coming down with a bit of a cold, so you know, gonna could be better. But how how about you, John? I'm actually also coming down with something as well. So <laughs> we what, must have caught it on Friday when we were out. Because you and I were hanging out together, and we both yeah. got each other sick somehow. Well, that's we had I a guess. rare day off on a Friday, a rare Friday off, and uh, decided to meet up with some friends and. Maybe we both got sick, so we will never go out again. We got to take in some live music. Yeah. Some, some friends, mm-hmm. catch up. It was a good time. Had a great time. Yes, worth it. Way gave me a drive home. Just such, such a kind soul. Of course. Yeah. Think yeah. nothing of it. Good rate as well. I mean, when you gave me the, the invoice at the end, I was like, oh, reasonable. I mean, as long as you tip. By the way, before we get into things, we're going to be talking about a lot on here. I just want to give a, a shout out to our pals. Look at this. Uh, you got your Eagles Don't Hunt Flies mug. Yeah, which uh, no flies in the in the coffee, by the way. The, no eagles, are there? No, no eagles either. But um, yes, so that's you can get yeah, that I'm adding it to I'm adding it to the rotation. Well, I, I mean, I know you're a big mug collector, right? That's sort of your thing. It's hard to make it into my rotation of mugs. I've got a few go to. I own a lot, but I only have so many that I go to. I loved, 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 loved my All Japan mug that I got in Japan. And I love the uh, the New Japan one that WH bought me. And both of them broke. And I, I still have them here. They're now pen holders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you need the handle. That's the thing with mugs. You know, they they don't last forever. 
All right. Well, we're going to move on. This is going to be a show that we're going to try and uh, keep on the tracks. We obviously have a lot of serious stuff to get into on this show. And before we get into the AEW side of things, uh, I just want to briefly mention, uh, and it was brought up on the pay-per-view tonight, the passing of Masashi Ozawa, who is better known as Killer Khan. And for a generation ago, I mean, a really, um, you know, a a very, very well-known figure. But as much as he had a presence in Japan, it was more so his work in the u.s that he is i i think going to be most remembered for he got his start in the jwa he had a sumo background and then started in the jwa this was in early 71 and then would move over to new japan pro wrestling several years later and it was wrestling under his his real name during these early years of his career and then in 78 he goes to mexico and it's from there he segues into the u.s and he becomes a really big territorial star and worked in a lot of key territories as killer Khan. he had a big run in a championship wrestling from florida he he bounced around all over the place he went to mid-south he went to stampede and went to the world the worldwide wrestling federation and was part of when he came in in 1980 he was brought in for several matches with bob backland including the two uh working madison square garden together back in uh, the end of 1980 and then in 1981 it was the year of i would say his most famous feud and that was with andre the giant and what had happened with andre was he was getting up from out of bed and broke his ankle and you know that's not exactly the most uh uh ripe story for an injury angle i woke up from bed and i broke my ankle so instead they credited killer Khan with breaking his ankle by coming off the top rope and uh and dropping himself onto the ankle and the two for forever they maintained that this was a legit ankle break in the ring where he was supposed to come down on the chest and he missed and hit the ankle but this was a very famous angle because you, you didn't see andre uh, sell to this degree with like a broken ankle and they they came back and they went all over the territory doing uh mongolian stretcher matches and probably was the opponent most famously associated with uh, one one killer con. But his uh, career continued after that. Of course, I mentioned he was in New Japan, came back. He was part of Ricky Choshu's group that uh, moved over to All Japan in 1985 and then never went back to New Japan. But he, he made a good amount of his time was over in the U.S., but does come back with, with All Japan for several years. And his last uh, significant run was coming back to the WWF this time in 87 where he uh, again went around uh working Hogan when Hogan was champion and they worked some big arenas together they worked the Meadowlands they worked the Cow Palace the Boston Garden Philadelphia Spectrum Rosemont Horizon and this is an interesting trivia note that he has to his name is that he can state that in 1987 he headlined the Pontiac Silverdome challenging Hulk Hogan for the WWF title because in addition to WrestleMania three, like between 86 and 88, they ran several house shows at the Pontiac Silverdome, obviously a super scaled down version of the Silverdome. But Killer Khan faced Hogan at the Pontiac Silverdome. And his last match ever was November 29th of 87 against Don Morocco at the Pontiac Silverdome. So he ha- he has that uh, that that trivia note to to his name and then retired in 87 and afterward, he got involved like running um, his own like restaurants and bars in Japan. 
And a few years ago, he was actually the, the subject. Uh, he was accused of like a hit and run incident where he was riding his bicycle to his bar, nailed this woman who ended up, you know, she suffered injuries, but it was not a uh, life threatening. But yeah, he his reasoning was that I, I was in a rush to work and uh, he was going to his bar. And sadly, this is where he was working on on uh, Friday when he collapsed and Tokyo sports is reporting that it was a, a ruptured artery that he, uh, that he died from. And this is our own Braden Harrington that back in 2018 went to killer cons bar and, and met uh, the one and only Mr. Mr. Khan here. So he was 76 years of age, but a really fascinating career and somebody that, again, if you go through the, the, the history of territory had a, had a big run in world class. He feuded with uh, Kevin Von Erich there came in right after the parade of champions when, Kerry won the NWA title from Ric Flair, but he worked so many different territories. And as much as he had kind of came from Japan, it was his U.S. stuff that was equal, if not more uh, well-remembered. I, w- I would say certainly with the the WWF run- runs that he had on uh, those occasions. So we do have a story up on the site that you can uh, check out. And uh, I think I'll be writing something more about Killer Khan coming up. But it was nice to hear that they did mention him on the, the pay-per-view tonight. So there you go. There's that. And then the... Another story tonight that was coming up from PWInsider.com is that it appears that Kevin Dunn is going to be leaving WWE after decades with this company. I mean, this guy was as much um, part of the WWE fabric as anyone, I would say, including the McMahons. I mean, this guy's had a longer tenure than most of the McMahon family, but he his role was you know very, very high up, obviously, as the executive producer and a chief of a global television distribution and PW insider reporting that he informed WWE around Christmas week that he was exiting after more than three decades with the company. And the site reports that they're told that a big factor in his decision to retire is changes internally post endeavor acquisition. And that Dunn was quote, never going to do anything that was, that was, uh, I think he means dictated to him as opposed to how he personally oversaw production in the past. We're told that this was not an issue of creative, but two differing versions of how things should be run from a TV production perspective. And Dunn goes back even further because his father uh, worked with the company that's going back to 1972. And then Kevin was hired full-time in 1984. So for our lifetimes way, Kevin Dunn has been working with the WWF. He's been their executive producer of all programming since 93. I mean, it is his fingerprints that are all over the company, the look, the image, everything. So this is a massive, massive departure for the company. And you have to go back to just a couple of weeks uh, when we were talking about Mark Shapiro's comments about, you know, still looking like at production and, not so much like whether this is uh, Kevin Dunn stepping away on his own volition or something else at play. The fact is Mark Shapiro did echo that the fact that, you know, he has butted heads with people in production and seems like that is an area that they do want to um, that they still see for cost cutting and such. But I mean, I, I could certainly just from those Mark Shapiro comments, I mean, when you're saying you're, you're clashing with or arguing with people in production, that's Kevin Dunn. So uh, I'm sure there was some friction there and probably well we'll we'll see in time if more comes out over this because it's it's such a massive name that you just um assumed would be someone as long as vince mcmahon was there that you assumed kevin dunn would be as well and i suppose a move like this kind of tells you the status of a vince mcmahon currently um at least you know on a day-to-day operations type of level um or maybe maybe not maybe we, we 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 can't exactly tell but you know um Strictly, strictly speaking about Kevin Dunn, I feel um, 
I probably criticized a lot of uh, what he's done personally. And uh, most people, I would say, on the in our community probably don't necessarily uh, look at that name or very fondly. Um, but he has created pretty much like um, our complete no, understanding. The WWE you watch, like that is as much as you want to look at like the creative and what comes up fr- from Vince, it's like the aesthetic and the look. And believe me, Kevin Dunn had as much influence in there in terms of somebody that Vince McMahon readily relied upon and was clearly a trusted uh, right-hand man. I mean, Kevin Dunn is as much about the makeup of this company. I would argue as, as a Vince McMahon, I mean, he's not the, the final final say, but I mean, he's like one heartbeat away from it. Yeah, yeah, and I imagine there are a lot of things that you know we might not necessarily credit him for that we all enjoy about WWE production or professional wrestling production that he's had a tremendous influence on. So, um, yeah, yeah, it, it, thirty years it's 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 a lifetime, really. There was a few years ago. I think I've told this story, but there was a few years ago uh, before a WrestleMania, and I just. <laughs> I made the pitch about trying to get Kevin Dunn on. And the Mm -hmm. idea would have been like, um, you know, the production of a WrestleMania, like take us into like the nuts and bolts of planning your biggest show of the year from a broadcast perspective. And sometimes when I'll make a request and it's not going to happen, they're just not going to respond to you. This one, I think I got an answer within 60 seconds and it was pretty much, Oh, there's no way that's going to happen. And Mm. uh, that that was my, uh, my one attempt to uh, interview Kevin Dunn. So Mm. now that he is free, um, more than welcome to join myself and Brandon Thurston any week. He would, he would, uh, he would carry uh, p- pending our schedules, of course, if we, uh, if we mm-hmm. have guests in, mm-hmm. booked in advance, but there you go, Kevin Dunn, um, as well, the stardom show, um, Karen Peterson has a full report of dream queendom. And I guess they had some, some technical nightmares. So stardom, at least for a limited time, they've put the entire four hour show up on its YouTube channel. So I don't know how long they're going to leave it there, but you have a chance and they were offering refunds as well for people. So it sounds like for their big show of the year, just a disaster. But if you're somebody that, I mean, people always ask us like for stardom, what's a great place to start. I mean, this is a show it's their big show of the year at sumo hall and crowning a new champion with the world of stardom title vacant going into it with a uh, Micah taking on Suzu Suzuki. So that's uh, up on YouTube. And then you can go read uh, Karen's just phenomenal uh, breakdown mm-hmm. and analysis. And she's also got her final dream slam monthly coming out Sunday, which is kind of a, a year ender look at the state of everything going into the new year. So those are all of the, uh, the housekeeping notes. And we will let you know a little later on, about some of the shows we have coming up this week. But we do have to talk about Chris Jericho because this was a major story today that uh, grew and was... It's it's difficult because there is not a whole lot of facts that we can rely on in this case, but there is, you know, a, a lot of discussion that was generated all day long and that kind of materialized into a pretty anti-Chris Jericho reaction on the pay-per-view tonight. So... If we want to go back, um, so earlier this week, uh, Nick Houseman had made a comment on on his show and, and made a, a comparison point of Chris Jericho. And this kind of brought up a story that had been out there years ago that we really had no kind of a basis for involving Kylie Ray's exit from AEW. And at the time that that happened, th- there were rumors that, that went around, but nothing that could be confirmed or reported on. And Kylie Ray, at that time, when she got her release from AEW, she did put out a statement in 2019. And in essence, what she included in there was the fact that noting that 
I don't know many rumors, and honestly, I try to stay away from everything. And she explained that while she was leaving AEW, uh, no one was making her leave. And then it was also brought up at a scrum by Sean Ross Sapp to Tony Khan addressing Kylie Ray. And he said it was a very amicable split. She came, she asked for her, for her release, and and she has been released. And that's sort of where things stood. And we've seen Kylie Ray. She she went to Impact for a period. Um, you know, she she's gone to different companies since then, but she did like leave wrestling for a period and then uh, came back as well. So with this comment that was made by Nick Houseman, it it brought up these these rumors again. And then what added, I would say, substance to everything was that Kylie Ray, in a roundabout way, acknowledged the reports by going to the bottom of this this tweet thread that you can see and just including a heart emoji. So mm. this is not her outright confirming this, but it's certainly her not uh, dismissing it or or at all negating it. So as you could expect, when you see this, it then exploded afterward. And this became a major trending topic online all day. And we're, we're at a point right now where, you know, typically in the these types of stories where an accusation is made, it is, you know, typical that we, we want to hear both sides from this. We don't even have like the allegation from Kylie Ray's perspective and from her side. Like we have not even heard from her about what happened, what did not happen, what is the in-between. Uh, Chris Jericho has not commented about this. We are, for those that are listening, we are doing this as the press conference is probably just getting underway. And we will update if this is brought up during the press conference. I would imagine Chris Jericho is not going to be at this press conference, but Tony Khan will be. So mm -hmm. that's where we stay at this point, Way, And I don't know how much more we can go into it beyond it's a story and it does need to be addressed. If mm -hmm. you are Chris Jericho, you need to either um, uh, like AEW needs to have a very clear idea of what happened, what did not happen. This is involving a performer that you did release. Is there smoke to this fire? And if not, if you are Chris Jericho, you want to make it very clear that this is this is not true and cl clear your name. But this is one that I, I don't think can just be d dismissed and forgotten. And hopefully the news cycle sweeps this one up. It was very noticeable tonight. And I, I just that's where I'm at. It needs to be addressed in a, in a meaningful fashion. And with respect to Kylie Ray as well, who is in in the in the middle of this. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> Not much we could say about like the allegations themselves without knowing more information. Um, there's been a lot of discussion, of course, not just about the story, but about the way it was brought up and and into the world through Nick Hausman's um, podcast. And I suppose the suggestion of the NDA in response to that Jericho tweet um, on Christmas as well. Um, there's just nothing we know um, to be able to responsibly, you know, convey to a larger audience besides what we what you have, you know, so eloquently, I think, talked about. This might not necessarily have been something we would have mentioned on the show if not for this response from Kylie Ray. You know, um, seemingly at, it's a story when the person that is, um, I guess, being talked about um, addresses it even as, in as something as vague as an emoji um so th we're just kind of really like you know talking in the dark about everything that that's going on but we do have these facts and i really hope we get more information as hopefully as early as now 
in the middle of this press conference, I really do feel like Tony needs to at least make some sort of statement. You know, your 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 kind of your PR um, really depends on it. And this is not a story I see many people just kind of letting go lightly. There's a lot of pressure I see from people um, towards the members of the media that are present today to ask and press a question like this. So I have to think they're preparing something. And you know what? Um, Update us chat room, you know, by the way, um, I'm told by a couple of people that they've disabled the chat in the uh, media scrum on, on, on YouTube today. So, okay. I was not aware of that. So, I mean, if we have any updates, we will convey them and, um, people that are listening live, I mean, you're going to be on, on top of it as much as, as I have, but, uh, hopefully I will be getting messages as well, uh, throughout this, but, um, th- this, this will come out or will come up in a roundabout way during this review because mm-hmm. this did bleed into the show. Like it was, it was very clear, right. As Jericho came out that this was an audience that at least a, a decent percentage of them were aware of this story and, yeah. and it did affect the, the match in terms of their, their involvement in the match. Uh, there were signs in, in the crowd relating mm-hmm. to this. So this is not as though this was something that just the corners of the internet were uh, whispering about. I mean, this, this made its way onto the broadcast and it was hard not to like, this was the elephant in the room, eight man tag that we'll be talking about a bit later on. So with that, out of the way, uh, we will be getting into the review of World's End from the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum. And the last number from WrestleTix had this at just under 9,900 tickets out. So, um, and that, that was a few hours out. So it is possible that they did hit 10,000 tickets out for this show. And they, they, were, promote, they were saying sellout on the commentary. They kept saying so. sellout many, many times on the on the broadcast. And in the hours leading up to the show, we got Keith Lee uh, posting a statement that he has been working with an injury since September of last year and basically stated, I'm going into this match hurt, but I'm going to work through it. And then boom, just like that, the pre-show starts and he's off the card, not cleared. And he is being replaced by Dustin Rhodes. So the, the match that has been a year in the making um, still to be determined when we will see <laughs> Swerve Strickland and, Keith Lee. I mean, th- when this match occurs, I mean, it is going to be um, something else. Huge. The, 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 you know, two years in the making, perhaps. At this point, I don't even know if they would continue with Swerve versus Lee. Maybe just as a one-off, but like, Swerve has greatly sort of um, lapped, you know, Keith Lee. Dude, I mean, Ke- and Keith Lee has had a really unfortunate run with several injuries, including this one. Um, this should have been maybe his most high-profile match in AEW and didn't have it. Will they deem it worthy enough to continue a story after this? I have my doubts, especially where sort of is headed now. The pre-show started off with Chris Statlander and Willow Nightingale, a match that was added on Rampage. It's a battle of Nassau and uh, uh, Suffolk County in New York. So we had the the battle of New New York State here. And so (laughs) Stokely Hathaway is on commentary. And during a pin attempt, Taz just goes, when there's a cover, don't speak. And he's pretty much saying, I just am giving you uh, tips live on the air here as we we never speak over uh, when when a, a cover is being made. So... This was an interesting match. It started and the crowd is still filing in. They really struggled at the beginning to get any kind of a reaction for this. Um, but things got going and they were they were doing a lot of big stuff. They were getting to near falls. We saw Willow hit a big pounce. And then there's a scissors kick from Chris. Chris then gets yanked off the top and is power bombed onto the edge of the apron. Saturday Night Fever gets countered. They're trading blows. 
And then uh, Nightingale goes for an insiguri and like barely connects with Chris here. Chris recovers, misses with the 450, and there's a lariat by Willow. And at this point, like the crowd is really, they have now gotten into things. Once mm-hmm. they've got the near falls, like I thought this was pretty impressive for a pre-show that they started with such a low energy crowd and then they built this up. And it was like, okay, now, now just stick the landing. And so she, Willow, goes for the doctor bomb and it's countered. She tries again, nearly dropping Chris. So then she gets her up for a third time and hoists up Chris. But Chris comes down and the way she does, it's like she leg drops Willow coming down. Willow, this is clearly the finish. And Willow goes on top. And Chris just, I guess, figured like maybe that didn't look great. And she kicks out. And at this point, like the crowd, I think was like on top of this in terms of like that this looked very clunky. Mm-hmm. And with that, Willow gets up, they recover, hits a, a clean doctor bomb and pins Chris Statlander in 13 minutes and 28 seconds. So I, I cannot say this was the smoothest match, but I thought it certainly did have its positive attributes for it for a 13 and a half minute match. Unfortunately, the, the ending was just it kind of deflated things from it just unfortunate because they started very low built this up and then mm-hmm. it was the, the finishing sequence kind of took some of that air out agreed yeah i'm really unfortunate about the messy finish but i think overall you look at this match as a positive for these two they did not have much time to promote this match i mean it was made last night and i don't even know how many people there in attendance would have been aware of some of the storylines going on here with statlander and stokely hathaway i felt like they purely... the battle of two counties yeah yes i feel like they purely got over based on their in-ring work for 95 percent of this match and i thought it was good you know two heavy hitters no breaks at all in terms of pace so cardio wise very impressive um yeah took a while for this card to get engaged but I thought they got them eventually. So I have to look at this as an overall positive, despite the unfortunate finish. And Stokely was so dejected, kids. He's recruiting Chris Statlander. He's all upset. He has not been this upset since they canceled Martin. (laughs) Were you upset? I like Martin. I I did watch Martin when I was a kid. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, interesting to think about what what they might be, where they might be headed with Stokely and, and Statlander. This is two losses in a row for Statlander after not losing for 19 months. Um, and has she done all oh, she yeah, that's right. Yeah, Two losses in a row in a in a week. Yeah. This is rough. So, I mean, you know, has she done all she can as a baby face? You know, are they considering a heel turn or or is this just, you know, a, a way to reheat her as a as a baby face against Stokely, perhaps? Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe she'll go to the dark side with Sky Blue. Um yeah, sure. Then this very cool vignette aired for Serena Deeb where she's in a straight jacket. And for all this time, she's been training in isolation, dissecting the women's division, and is locked inside of a dojo. And now, now, did you read this as someone who is like dissecting the women's division and feeling strapped and confined? Hmm. Um. Could, I'm only kidding. Yeah. I mean, you could. I took it to almost mean maybe more met- metaphorically. Like she, you saw her training in a straitjacket position, and I yes. suppose um, this was maybe her. I mean, the gimmick is uh, one of her new sort of um, personas is she she's well, the, the end of this promo, she she says she's like Houdini. It's almost like magic when she's wrestling when she, at her best. She cannot be caged and she has shown breaking out of the straight jacket. She has a counter and escape for everything. She is the woman of a thousand holds and the professor is ready to return. Mm-hmm. I thought this video looked really good. You know, um, I thought it was scripted well, well delivered, very cool, very well produced video package. Had me hyped for a return, and I'm more 
I think almost kind of shocked that anybody returning to AEW is getting a video package. This feels so rare that they have somebody off for a long, long time. And the most you might get, like we had with Dante Martin, Dante Martin shows up next week, you know, or like he's back. He's uh, he just high fives, you know, his brother in action and dirty. And that's as most as you get. They put some actual production into this and they made her feel like she could be a star upon return. So especially for the women's division, I, I, I wasn't expecting something like this. Next, we go to the 20 man battle Royal. The winner will get a TNT title shot and boy, what a, um, what an impact that this match w- would have on the pay-per-view. So out comes first, Darius Martin and Action Andretti. No Dante Martin in the match. And I think I got all 20 here. We had Danhausen, John Silver, and Alex Reynolds, uh, local guys, obviously, here in Long Island. Lance Archer, Trent Beretta, Rocky Romero, Killswitch, Dalton Castle, who got a pretty big pop, Johnny TV, Butcher, Blade, Serpentico, Menard, Angelo Parker, Christopher Daniels, Kip Sabian, Lee Johnson, and the bounty hunter, Brian Keith. So. Early on, they bury Archer and Killswitch underneath tables on the floor and destroy them with chair shots. So they are under there for a long portion of the match. And I mean, we're we're kind of just going along here where someone would get like so, some big moment and then they'd get eliminated and the crowd would get sad when uh, John Silver got eliminated, when Dalton Castle got eliminated. Uh, eventually, Archer em- emerged from the debris, entered the ring. So he went crazy, eliminating Menard, then Daniels. And then he sent Rocky Romero out with a blackout to Christopher Daniels catching him on the floor. And then he stands up with Action Andretti, who chugs his water and then powers up on Archer and uh, with Darius. And then Killswitch enters and these guys just start eliminating guys in tandem. And we're down to Archer, Killswitch, Trent and Danhausen. So Trent stops the blackout to Danhausen. They double team sending Archer out. The two hug, and then Trent turns on Danhausen, throwing him out, and we're down to Trent and Killswitch, and Trent is getting the better of him with these sliding knees. They end up on the edge of the apron, and they keep fighting until Killswitch elbows him and wins the match in 1349, getting the contract for the TNT title shot. Mm-hmm. Crowd was certainly most behind Danhausen towards the you know end, uh, maybe even throughout like most of this match as a baby oh, man, face. Imagine that played itself out tonight with the TNT title. Danhausen cashing in on, on Copeland. He's under the spell of a cage. <laughs> I so I mean, all I'm saying is I feel like it might have been a more effective end to this match if you had Luchasaurus with Danhausen as the final two. But maybe they wanted maybe a more credible threat in, in Trent, and they might also be setting up something involving Trent and Danhausen because you know Trent was the one who um, surprise eliminated one of his fellow best friends. So it was a very pre-show battle royal overall i didn't think there was anything particularly memorable besides those things um and just a way to get to your um angle later on tonight hook against wheeler yuda ftw championship with ftw rules so what does that mean hardcore match trash Wayland. Yeah, we, we got uh, Yuta coming out, and man, did this guy try so hard to get hated by this Long Island crowd. He calls it a shithole. He makes fun of the Islanders. This isn't even the best island. Staten Island's better. I mean, dude, he tried everything, and this crowd was just like, we're not going to give you what you want here because this yeah. is so low-hanging fruit that you have brought to this pre-show heel promo. Agreed. It was It was kind of like... I mean, I wouldn't say he exactly bombed, but it was like seeing somebody go up on a, like a, you know, open mic night and just really not getting the reaction that they're intending. And I mean, they've given Wheeler several chances on commentary. I think to various degrees of success tonight was not one of those. It was a very bare bones, generic promo that, you know, that is a, at a level that I I don't think impresses really anybody, especially an AW audience. Um, so 
he's going to have to keep working at it. Why do you call it Long Island? No one wants to stay here too long. Maybe you should. You guys uh, suck. That. <laughs> yeah. So then the the Islanders horn goes off, and uh, out comes Hook in the uh, the New York Islanders colors. I mean, uh, this guy here, here he was representing his his home. And Taz mentions that he took uh, his son to many Islanders games here, and now the crowd they were chanting "Yuta sucks." Hook uh, suplexes him on the ramp, and then we just get a bunch of uh, trash can lid shots and. At one point, Yuta slams him in the desk right in front of Taz, and then Hook fires up with a clothesline. They trade German suplexes, and then there's knees from the tie clinch, but as Yuta throws a knee, he gets caught and T-boned into a trash can in the corner. As he goes through the red rum, Yuta drops him on a trash can, then a DDT on the stop sign for a two-count. Yuta's eye is cut up, and then Yuta gets a two-by-four, but Hook has the equalizer, a hockey stick. And it snaps when he uses it, and he uses the broken part of the hockey stick to assist the red rum, and Yuta taps out in 10 minutes and 17 seconds. Hook is still the FTW champion. Good match for the hometown crowd. You know, Hook certainly felt like a big deal. You know, uh, they really played up, I mean, the, the Islanders' colors, of course. So this was like a significant match for him. I thought it was a good physical hardcore match. I personally found myself a bit disengaged with it, and I I didn't sense the crowd being that loud for it compared to a lot of the matches on the show. It, it, and I'm trying to think of why it could be because they, they kind of started this feud a long time ago and just kind of rushed to, you know, say, Hey, the matches tonight. Um, it's also a title that really doesn't mean a whole lot. You know, it's just, it's a prop for Taz's friends or son. I mean, maybe, maybe you do have a lot of people that are more pro world than this title would suggest. Like, you know, like, <laughs> you know right. it could be worse. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, we'll, we'll take, we'll take this world because we don't have an alternative. To go it should really be, a, you should consider changing it to a love the world championship. LTW title. Okay. Yeah. It's a possible. I just, if I, if you told me on paper, all this stuff, okay, heel comes out, buries Long Island in the, they tap into like the Islanders horn that is going to, you know, hopefully in, in inject some life into this crowd, hardcore match. Uh, we're playing off of long Island. Like I would have thought, man, this is just going to generate easy heat on the undercard. And I, I don't think it really reached that. It almost just felt like this crowd was like, okay, what, what else do you got? And I've got to the pre-show. I, I don't think it like wowed my world. These three matches, I mean, Agreed. individual parts you could have got into, but uh, the three matches, not among the strongest that we're about to talk about. I don't disagree. Well, to uh, to to take a breather after this uh, this intense uh, pre-show, uh, we are going to take a very very quick timeout uh, because on the other side we are diving into a complete rundown of the pay-per-view portion of World's End. It is 2024, and tracking technology from advertisers, ISPs, and hackers is getting more sophisticated than many of us can understand. Something you can do to give yourself a bit more peace of mind this year is to protect your browsing by investing in a trusted VPN like NordVPN. Voted Best VPN for Privacy of 2023 by Security.org, Nord is one of the most established and reputable VPN providers in the field. NordVPN is also something I use every day to access geo-blocked online streaming services like AEW+. By far the best way of watching AEW programming commercial-free with on-demand access to AEW's entire TV archive. But perhaps the most value I've gained from using Nord has been the ability to unlock cheaper prices to online content from other parts of the world. Plus, when you sign up at nordvpn.com slash postwrestling, you get four bonus months on top of all two-year plans. That works out to $2.88 a month, so it's already paid for itself several times over. 
Again, $2.88 a month when you sign up at nordvpn.com slash postwrestling. Check the link in the show description. Sign up with code postwrestling. Get yourself some bonus months and let NordVPN know you found them through us. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Such a soothing read is one waiting, and we uh, we thank all of the uh, sponsors out there who help bring you this show uh, for free, including the great NordVPN. But now we get into the pay-per-view portion, and we've got the all-star eight-man tag to kick off the pay-per-view. Jay White, Roosh, Jay Lethal, and Brody King against Brian Danielson, Claudio Castagnoli, Mark Briscoe, and Daniel Garcia, with Matt Menard joining Excalibur, Taz, and Nigel on commentary. So this match was a lot of mixing and matching with the different combinations where you either had the existing uh, history with Jay Lethal and Mark Briscoe, or you had fresh ones like uh, Danielson from the blue league and Jay white from the gold league. Mm-hmm. And I thought that this just, you know, you, you, you've been focusing on these eight over the last month. And this was sort of just a lot of interesting combinations and a crowd that was pretty into a lot of this stuff. Um, perhaps the most intense was Brody King and Matt Menard. Oh yeah, certainly. Man. King just got right into his face, called him a bitch and then, like, off camera, like, struck him after after the match as well. So maybe that's the most uh, intense rivalry we have coming out of the, the all-star eight-man. I mean, it's a program you don't exactly um, think of, you know, as a possibility for Brody King following up from the Continental Classic. But it's a very clear direction. Obviously, you know, he's attached to Daniel Garcia, so it can extend there. But, um, I, I I mean, um, yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's Let's see what they do. Yeah, when Daddy Magic was, was struck... Uh, Nigel warned him not to get involved. You're you, you can't physically get involved, and there is someone out there that might find you. <laughs> so he was on his I love his digs up behavior Brian. here. Um, Danielson and Jay White, I thought for the brief time they had, I thought I thought it was just a great interaction that these two had. They got the heat on Mark Briscoe, and then Claudio is in with Brody King, so we got the meat chance, and then a giant swing to Brody with a seated drop kick from Brian Danielson. Then a lethal combination to Garcia. He goes for the figure four. Briscoe breaks it up with the froggy bow. And then it is just one guy after the other. Busaiku Nita Roosh. Blade Runner onto Danielson. Pop-up uppercut onto Jay White. And then it's Garcia in with the Saito suplex to King. Lethal is in. He tries for the lethal injection. Garcia sidesteps and wins with the rolling jackknife. Crowd goes nuts for Garcia getting the pin at 17 minutes and 16 seconds. And the the image that will live on is Daniel Garcia and Mark Briscoe dancing together afterwards. Uh, Brian Danielson did not take part in this, but I thought he was partially intrigued to to enjoy this as well i thought this was a really great opener i thought it was just a perfect way to open this up it was fun to have these eight guys that were all in the classic together and i would say for for the first half of this pay-per-view i i thought this was uh maybe the best of the early matches on on the show i have to remember where exactly the midway point is but i i tend to think you're probably right um i thought it was a very good match maybe a little bit long for my taste just because i knew i had like what like 10 other matches coming up yeah, when you when you get a 17 minute opener and you know there's eight more matches to go 
I mean, you knew that, you know, your ass is going to be parked for five hours for this show. Pretty much, yeah. Um, I thought it was a great way to just recap some of the storylines in the tournament. You had, you know, significant interactions with Brian and Daniel Garcia, which seems to be something that they might be continuing with the two of them sharing glances at each other throughout. Jay Lee yeah, they really played up the tension with Danielson and Garcia afterwards, like and mm-hmm. not in an overt fashion, but clearly there's there's fallout there with with those two i thought claudio and brody were great together as well doing so many you know power spots and i think a great finish with everybody hitting their finishers one by one not unlike backlash 2007's main event it was i'm sure they were going back this week firing up the wwe network to watch that uh classic from atlanta following them was miro and andrade el idolo accompanied by cj perry and it would uh it would appear that Andrade's uh, future with, with AEW certainly seems to be in doubt. And uh, I guess a, a question, even if we will see him again after this match, like this very well, I mean, this, well, we'll get into it, but this pretty much um, wrote off his association with CJ Perry. He lost. And I think people are just going to be assuming now that that was, that was his send off. Seems like it, right? Yeah. Well, we, we get into the match and, Hopefully we can we can we can break this down. So Miro is out solo, and then Andrade is accompanied by C.J. Perry, whose uh, finger is all bandaged up from her infection, and she she has made it here. And so Miro jumps Andrade, and so Andrade is wrestling the first couple of minutes with his jacket on, and Miro yells to his wife, "Is this what you wanted?" And Perry yells, "Is this what you wanted? My infected finger." I was like, what, what <laughs> is this story? Can anyone explain this to me? Dude, he was, he wouldn't stop talking about his wife for years on yeah. this program. Then he says he has rejected his wife and chosen God over his wife. Wife comes to AEW. She's upset because he's chosen God over her. So now she wants to be a manager and can't manage him because he's got God in his corner. So she went out and whoever she has recruited, Miro has a problem with this because he wants to have his God and he also wants his wife at home. Mm -hmm. What is going on here? Okay. So, I mean, up until that point, up until the start of this match, I could, I, it's not been the best story, but I could accept it. Okay. I can accept the idea of manager wants to come back and basically work and do her, do her perfect like her talent her skill which is that of being a great manager a uh, husband is overly protective does not want his wife basically working um and he's insanely jealous when she actually ends up managing somebody ends up wanting to fight him relatively simple i didn't get this line when she pulled out her finger and said is this what you want is this what you want my infected finger I mean, what, what, how does how does that kind of play in? Why would maybe what, maybe she's blaming Miro for this? But she hit uh, she nicked it off of a splinter in the back. Is it was it a splinter that Miro in, in, um, placed, or was it just the idea of like a workplace accident? And Miro all along wanted her to stay at home. This was his plan to keep her at home. Put a splinter in her finger. Maybe, yeah. Well, maybe that's what CJ is suggesting. Well, Miro is just throwing this guy around and I mean, they're, they're working hard, but there's not a lot of heat for this, mm-hmm. uh, mainly because I, I don't think they quite understand like the dynamics of this either, or they're just not interested. So it's um, super awkward because um, I think Miro's a heel. I think 
Um, what a un- chauvinist who wants his wife not to work and stay at home? That's babyface material. Way I, I, I really don't know. Andrade, I think he was the babyface in this match. But Andrade is definitely the babyface. Like all throughout the Continental Classic, I thought he played a babyface. Now CJ, on the other hand, felt incredibly heelish tonight. So I, I don't know what I was supposed to think, and I wonder what the crowd largely felt. Well, Andrade leaps into a kick, and Amiro signals for the game over, applies it, but Perry is yelling not to tap, and he makes it to the rope uh, with his free arm after Miro cannot hold on. Miro uh, tells her, cheer for your husband. And then there's another dragon screw to Miro in the ropes, and then Andrade applies the figure eight. Miro reverses, and then Andrade gets the position back into the figure eight when C.J. Perry taking a note out of a Bailey reaches in, takes the arms out. So the figure eight gets dismantled and Andrade is like, what's going on here. And I think the audience was thinking the same thing here as was Miro. And then there's a thrust kick for a near fall. And then he applies the game over Miro wins in 15, 13 Perry is smiling at Miro blows him a kiss. Miro doesn't know what the hell is going on. It's not like they embrace and leave together. Uh, so we, we still have this, um, uh, bizarre relationship to explore still something going on sure yeah um i okay let's talk talk about the match first i'm i I totally agree with you it's not like i felt like there was anything wrong with the work but i actually found it pretty dull until they you know maybe got to some of the storyline stuff with uh cj it's maybe a lack of care for the outcome because you maybe i had a very strong feeling that andrade was going to lose this one um there's really not that much to say about it other than the fact that I'm not sad that Andrade and CJ is no longer a thing because those two had zero chemistry and no. I felt it was incredibly forced anytime they're on screen. And I wonder how involved he really was in this storyline other than just being a body for CJ to, you know, use to make Miro jealous. Like, I wonder if you asked Andrade to explain the storyline, if he'd be able to. Well, maybe that will come in time. So what do you think is next for Andrade? I I think he I think he's done with the company and I I think people are going to assume he's he's going to be WWE bound. Could we see a reunion with Zelina? Um, maybe uh, against Santos. There's plenty of roles for him. Whether you want to put him in, in into that story, um, or just elsewhere, um, there, there's plenty yeah. of options for for him that way. Like this this was not a smooth fit here in AEW. Mm-hmm. I think he was he was marred by uh, multiple things over over his time here not a not not a very memorable run and one that um yeah we'll see if if there if it's a difference for him in in wwe i mean he had you know a good nxt run not so much a great main roster run but he no he's a he's a talented guy and under paul levesque i'm sure he looks at it as a fresh slate and will get a better opportunity there but i don't think anyone's looking back at this AEW run and looking at this as like this gigantic loss for the company it's like they've got so much depth that if uh if someone at this level wants to go i think this is a a decision that you you don't really have to be lamenting too too hard i guess i really wonder like when he he might have given notice so to speak um that he wasn't sticking around because would you if you're tony Khan, would you have put him into the continental classic taking one of those spots i mean he was great in the in the tournament so for that reason i think maybe worth it um but it's also like you're kind of, you know, giving him a lot of airtime, you know, as you hand him off to the competition. So, I, I mean, you always wonder when somebody leaves. Um, but I, I think he'll get treated very well under Paul Levesque. 
Next, we go to Timeless Tony Storm and Riho for the AEW Women's Championship. And Shivani is on commentary for this one. And man, from the second that Tony makes her elaborate entrance, it was a very pro Tony Storm crowd. And Rio was in a tough spot here as the babyface. And unlike what we had uh, last month at Full Gear, this was not a like crowd that was like split. Like there were moments when they got into some of the moves for Rio, but this was just this crowd loved Tony Storm. And this is going to be, I think, a continuing issue as long as you are putting Tony Storm opposite baby faces that she's just the character that everyone is into and crowds are going to eat up and in a good way. So early on, Luther blocks uh, Riho. So leaps onto Luther and is caught and handed off to Storm. Storm hits a sky high and then is working on the lower back. They do the spot where Storm is on the shoulders of Luther and throws Rio off the apron. And we get chance of let's go timeless that are just huge. She applies the Texas Cloverleaf and then Storm pulls the rope back so Rio can't reach it. So he is ejected. Storm freaks out. And this is when Rio hits a tiger faint kick, a high cross. And then she goes for this slam and she has trouble slamming her. But it made total sense with her selling the back. And the announcers were on top of that and made logical sense for the match. She continues with a high cross to the floor, dragon suplex, but then Storm misses a hip attack, rolls through, hits the Storm Zero, and Riho kicks out. And for this valiant kick out, we get the crowd chanting, Tony, Tony. <laughs> and then Rio had this really nice rolling leg cradle, another two count, and out of nowhere, Storm hits this. It's almost like a hip toss into a DDT. I had to rewind this thing like three times to watch it. It looked really cool and one wins the match in 11 minutes and 45 seconds and um super babyface tony storm it, it, it's it's always going to be an issue i think when you have a babyface that um i don't they i don't know if they really invested a whole lot into making feel like a big star i mean rio really did just feel like a lame duck challenger another sort of like I don't know, spot of the month type of challenger. I mean, I don't recall see, hearing one promo from her. Um, now, I, I know there are limitations. Countdown, but the countdown, well, the countdown, it wasn't even that great, but at least she, she had a voice, and they had every opportunity to play some of those videos throughout the uh, the course of the month. I I, I personally kind of found the match, um, it took a while to get going, and, um, you know, the, maybe a positive I can say is that I definitely saw adjustment in Tony Storm. Remember last month? Like This was much better than, than last month. So um, much gimmick gimmickry, you know, with the plate and all that. You really didn't yeah. see much other than, like, some of the Luther spots, which got over pretty, like, relatively well. But overall, I didn't sense the crowd being too hot for this one. And then Mariah May ran down with rose petals and Storm celebrated and they promoted uh, Mariah's debut for Wednesday on Dynamite. And this is where they mentioned both the passing of um, Masashi Ozawa, Killer Khan, and uh, Mad Kurt, Curtis Chapman, who, um, you know, they they gave a 10 bell salute to on the Rev Pro card this weekend. And, and Eddie Kingston brought up after uh, his match with John Moxley. Lexi Nairs with Dante Martin, and it leads to him challenging Orange Cassidy for the international title, which will happen this Wednesday. So to rewind, if you remember the Prudential Center, the first time they were going to run pr- the Prudential Center, it was going to be the first blood and guts until the pandemic started. OK, that, that was the debut at the Prudential Center. They're going to the Prudential Center on Wednesday, and this is the one match that they have announced so far for Wednesday. Oh, so they haven't been back since. Oh, they've been back several times. I'm just saying, like, for this building, like, the first time they went there, that was how big they cool. saw the Prudential Center being. And here for this one, it's... I mean, everybody's Orange kind Cassidy of... T- and Dante. But everybody's kind of tied up on this card. It, it doesn't make sense to announce matches before you, you have results from tonight, right? 
well, it's a, it is a, it is a, it is a very big building, but um, that's coming mm-hmm. up on Wednesday. Swerve Strickland is next taking on Dustin Rhodes. And this, this was very interesting because Swerve Strickland was among the biggest baby faces mm-hmm. on this show. If you want to go and say he was the biggest baby face on this show, it's like he would have like next to MJF uh, and Eddie Kingston. Eddie. Like those, those are the big three. MJF and Kingston. Definitely. Yeah. And Swerve. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So he comes out. It's a superstar reaction. This entire place is chanting Swerve's house. And Dustin Rhodes is uh, is jumped by them before the bell begins. And Prince Nana brings out a cinder block and they stomp Dustin's ankle on the cinder block. The medical team is tending to Dustin. The crowd is just eating this up. This is like Austin in his like pre-98 heyday where he's the heel, but the crowd just loves watching him destroy people. And the crowd is deafening with its chance. And Dustin wants to return and he limps back to the ring and the bell rings. So it's Swerve beating him down. He looks into the camera telling Keith Lee, this could be you as he works on the ankle. And then, holy Seth Rollins, Dustin Rhodes powers up, regenerates his ankle to hit a Canadian destroyer, a power slam, shattered dreams, and Prince Nana's dealing with the ref. So he then hits the crossroads, a two count and all of a sudden we're getting like the an, an inverted crossroads but yeah uh, inverted crossroads um and and swerve kicks out of this so swerve is like battling back here and hits the rolling flatliner gets a stretch muffler applied and then dustin spits at swerve gives him the middle finger so swerve puts him down with a pair of house calls snaps the arm and hits a swerve stomp to win in nine minutes and 28 seconds and he's signaling for the belt uh as he goes up the ramp and yeah, what what did you think about the the layout of this one? I was a fan of it. I did not dislike it. I, I've seen some negative criticism of, of the match, um, maybe going so long for something that was not supposed to be on this card. But I I feel like the, this was always going to be a showcase for Swerve, and um, they clearly had the cinder block spot planned already, and they just substituted Dustin. Listen, the it. cinder block isn't returning itself. We got to use this thing. There's a no <laughs> yeah. refund on this thing, and we're not That's lugging it. it to Newark. But I thought Dustin did a really good job. I mean, maybe maybe I'm qualifying it because, you know, I know that they just put this together like, you know, this afternoon. But I thought Dustin sold effectively. And by the end, you saw Swerve as a big star thanks to this crowd reaction. But also just like, you know, this menacing, <laughs> maniacal man. And I found that interesting, too, because he was a baby face all throughout the content of the classic. But tonight he was mm-hmm. very much felt very much like a heel. Yeah, I I didn't know what to think of it by, by the end in my first takeaway from this was that I was perfectly fine with just the angle. You did this cool attack. Dustin is somewhat like, you know, he's taken off, but Swerve is like, this crowd was red hot. They were not going to be upset that they didn't get a match out of this. That was Are you not sure? Advertised. Are you sure? Like this crowd wouldn't have been upset that they didn't, they wouldn't get a Swerve match. You know, he's one of the top three acts on the bill. Well, okay. If, if, if we think that that was going to be an issue, they continue the match. And then the way they laid it out, it was like, this is like giving Dustin Rhodes, like the heroic comeback that he's going to overcome this injury. And I don't know if the, if part of me was like, does the audience want to, they don't want to get behind Dustin here, but by the end of this whole thing, it's like, there's a certain level with, with swerve that it's like, he is, um, it just, it does work. Like this crowd is going to take to him 
no matter how you present him, even yeah. if it's destroying like your sympathetic baby face in this manner being, Oh, it's uh, badass. It's Dustin awesome. Rhodes. Yeah. And I think wait, they wait, like, wait, how did he, this... how, how did he get to this point by threatening to kidnap a baby? So the sicker he is, I, I get the idea that you know, people will cheer him even more. So, I mean, I mean, I thought Swerve was like a major positive on the, the show mm. and they did have to pivot away from Keith Lee. Um, but that that is going to be sort of your 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 balancing act here is that it would seem that like they're going to be feeding him baby faces and it's it puts the baby it, it's kind of similar like a Rio where it's like the the guy that they're going to be into in all these matches is Swerve who's like the cool baby face um, that they yeah. want to give this like danger and edge to and sort of like a, a heel foundation. Well, John Moxley plays that role wonderfully, right? You know, the, the guy who's kind of sick and pl- can play heel um, like tonight, but still be loved by this entire audience. And I think Swerve is certainly at that level of, as, a, as a performer. I, you know, like the the layout of the match made a lot of sense to me when I considered that MJF was going to retain the championship by the end of this show. Like, and obviously, he like all the injury stuff, I have the contract stuff. I have really no idea what's going on. But clearly, they were setting up Swerve versus MJF for the AEW World Championship. And I think in that scenario, a heel Swerve versus a babyface MJF made the most sense. Now, I'm not exactly sure, you know, what his next program is. Yeah, that would be – there would be a big question mark next to that program that people were anticipating. And It uh, could still happen. Maybe it could later. still happen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, guys, Keith Lee, it's – We'll get there eventually, okay? On our on our time. They're peaking for Wembley. Yeah, 2027. <laughs> Ricky Starks, Big Bill, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Kanosuke Takeshita against Jericho, Guevara, Sting, and Darby Allen. So, I mean, dude, they gave Jericho an individual entrance to come out at the beginning here. And mm-hmm. so he comes out to Judas, and there's certainly like a predominant amount of the crowd that is singing. But boy, was it pronounced when the music ended and it was like, I'm not going to say it was like the majority of the crowd, but there were enough boos that you could hear mixed with other people finishing the lyrics of the song. And you could tell right from there that there were people that were not happy and were very aware of the news involving Chris Jericho today. I was I mean, this was probably the most interesting uh, entrance and match I I was um, looking towards at the start of the show, predominantly for the reactions to Chris Jericho, because I think there were still a lot of questions. I mean, how many people would have been aware of the story that just broke on the Internet um, hours before this? And I know it's it's kind of silly to suggest that, like, the AEW audience isn't on the Internet, but there are people that I'm sure are busy today and had lives and weren't scrolling through Twitter catching up on this before going to the arena tonight. Nonetheless, I kind of I feel like we got our answer. There were enough people that were more than aware of what was going on and responded accordingly. And and it was very clear way from the layout of this match. um, They did not pivot from anything like they they this was the match that they were putting out. And 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 really, it was to the detriment of the match, because like this audience did not want to react to Chris Jericho in a positive light. And and that. And the spots were designed for big babyface moments, mainly involving him and Sting doing stuff together. So the big moments that I think were um, maybe the most memorably kind of kind of tough to watch were um, when he paused at the end of Judas, but then when he also did the Les Sex Gods pose with Sammy Guevara. Um, just any sort of pause for like a babyface reaction that you're giving the crowd was a moment for the crowd to boo him there were two notable signs uh pretty much hard camera center one of them said um jared go away another said world's nda 
which I'm not entirely sure what it's like supposed to be a pun of. Like, what is what's his moniker? World's what? Who, who's this we're talking? So what, Sorry, like, I'm what, just, I'm what is something. world's what is world's NDA supposed to um like make like be a, a sort of a, a pun of? I, I think it was just to have the NDA letters in there. Right. How about walls of NDA? I don't know. I'm sorry. I, I, there was a, there, what was the sign? Jared go away. And, yeah. I mentioned yeah, that. There were, there were multiple signs and, and chants throughout. I mean, there were NDA chants during the match. I mean, they were, they were very easy to hear. Yeah. So Jericho's booed when he's tagged in early. And a world's dark... end. Thank you. Thank you. Um, world's NDA. Oh, okay. It's yeah. 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 Got it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm very slow. I'm sick. Darby's in. He hits a code red to Takeshita. And then, dude, Takeshita hit this insane blue thunderbomb off the turnbuckle onto Darby. And then Big Bill and Hobbs just start swinging Darby. And they throw him halfway across the ring. Um, So the crowd, it was like Sting was like the protective cover in this match. Because the crowd, they were just starting to chant, we want Sting. Darby finally makes the chant. And then he's hitting Stinger splashes to Starks and Takeshita. When Jericho comes in and they do stereo splashes, this is when the NDA chants begin. And then, I don't know, I I was messaging with a friend who had like was watching this and wasn't sure if like Sting had gone down and Aubrey was checking on him. And I went to rewind and I couldn't see anything. But then moments later, he's working with Starks and he goes for like the hot shot to like drop Starks throat on the top rope and comes up short and just drops Ricky like uh, before the the rope. And then so the match continues from that. That was kind of a an awkward moment of the match. There's a flying cutter from Guevara. Bill makes the save. And then we get a scorpion death drop by Darby Takeshita drops Darby on his head. And then it's uh, the death lock is applied when Don Callis enters and Sting lets go and we get the walls onto powerhouse Hobbs and the crowd is booing the walls of Jericho sting drops to Keshta applies the scorpion death lock. So starts is in to stop them. And it's bill booting out sting Darby takes out bill with a tope suicida and then Guevara goes for a dive, but he's caught with a spear very well timed by Starks and Guevara ends with a GTH and a shooting star press pinning Ricky Starks in 15 minutes and 42 seconds. Um, but the overriding factor of this match was it was the elephant in the room. And I thought it took so much of the life out of this match. Um, they did the post-match celebration with Sting and presenting this as final match in New York. And and he even went over uh, to see Vladimir, the super fan, mm-hmm. in the front row as well. So that that was cool. Um, but I thought this match, it was just really impossible for most of this crowd to get into. And it just felt... Um, it was obvious like they had their match planned out and they were not going to let the, the news affect it. And mm-hmm. yeah. And it, it dragged this match down significantly. Like I, I can't really even uh, assess this as a match, like what they had in mind. Um, the audience was not, or at least a percentage of them, they were not in the desire to see. It was a very weird match to watch. Um, technical work was totally fine. Like maybe steps for some weird moments with Jericho and bill, I thought Sting looked good here with his limited work overall, and I love seeing Darby back here. I think he's sorely like needed currently, or or I've I've certainly missed him. Uh, but the cloud of everything made the wrestling a bit tough to solely focus on. I I really do question maybe the idea of like you, should, should he have been in the match? To, to, like it's one thing in hindsight, but do you think like they should have been thinking that way today during during the the, the day of? 
I wonder if I have to think they might have considered it. But at that point, like, I think maybe you're trying to think if you're AEW, how we can make this the less um, big, the smallest story could possibly be. And maybe proceeding with everything as planned and essentially no selling everything that took place in the afternoon today was their feeling that um, was the best way. But um, the crowd I felt was significant enough. Now, I'd love to hear like from people that might have not known everything that's going on, whether or not they were able to perceive from this crowd um, something was off. But even if not, like it's it's become I mean, it was a story before that. And I felt like the the, the match tonight just just amplified it. Um, so, yeah. So I'm getting as we, we speak, um, I, I don't know who asked the question, but Tony Khan was asked, what has been done to prevent sexual harassment in the past and going forward? And Khan's response was, we have a policy in place. We make sure we do everything we can. We have the best safety record. Um, so I'm just getting these notes in real time. So anything that that comes around, um, we will see if there's any uh, specific. <laughs> and he's um... and he is wearing a wig and glasses um, that was put upon him as he is answering this very serious question. A very fuzzy hat, uh, courtesy of Tony Storm. Oh, it's a hat. I'm sorry. I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Um. Um. He says, if anything came to light to him, he would take it to the disciplinary committee. Everyone has an open line to him or anyone in the committee. I mean, we're we're talking about a situation that was potentially allegedly years ago yeah. before the formation of any known disciplinary committee. So this is fine for. But I mean, it, it sounds like the. This was not specifically asking about the the Jericho story, um, mm. and so he's just giving kind of a kind of boilerplate assessment of how they they handle these situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the press conference isn't over yet, um, but if that was as much as we got, I guess I wouldn't be that surprised. You know, uh, it's 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 one question, so we will see if more is uh, brought up. Mm-hmm. Julia Hart against Abaddon followed that for the TBS championship and uh, another match that, that struggled with, with heat here. Um, so Hart is working on the back. Abaddon, what, what were the house rules here? She's allowed to bite or? Yeah, she, she's allowed to bite. Yeah. Would that be, would that be your choice? Well, if I was a sk- skilled biter, you know. Didn't really pan out too well for her. Uh, well, she should have employed a better uh, biting strategy, maybe. Work on that biting. Um, I mean, she didn't expect sky blue, I, su- I suppose. My rule would be no basing on your feet for a moonsault. <laughs> well, you, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, then, uh, you might, you would have won today based, based off of DQ. She goes for the heartless and Abaddon gets to the rope, pulls her back and then turns it into a cover. There's a spinning side slam by Abaddon. And then sky blue appears knocking Abaddon off the apron as Aubrey's dealing with Julia Hart. Abaddon drags sky blue from underneath the ring, attacks her. But this allows Hart to jump Abaddon from behind, rolls her into the ring, and then hits her moonsault. Now, the moonsault has been uh, criticized, where, especially from the angle they were shooting it, like she lands on her feet, and it wasn't the smoothest moonsault. That said, Excalibur was so quick here, explaining, well, it wasn't a traditional moonsault press. It looks like she came down and landed with her knees on the body and onto her feet. Like he tried his best to cover for something that was tough to cover for. And Julia Hart retains the title in 1157, even with the disadvantage of her opponent being able to bite her. She was prepared. She was prepared for the biting. Yeah. Um, I, I, I thought it was, um, I thought the crowd was kind of flat for this one too. And I wasn't really captivated for much of it, to be honest. Um, 
I didn't even think the biting stip was utilized all that much to make it maybe a bit more memorable. I was very happy to see Abaddon get a chance here. She's a, or they're a very underutilized talent that the crowd seems to love. Uh, great potential as a baby face. I hope they are able to carry on with them. And I think, you know, they'd be a great opponent for Tony Storm. Like, can you imagine the skits? You know, the, the like the horror meets, you know, classic um, cinema feud. Sorry, I'm I'm communicating uh, as uh, as we, okay. As we speak. Oh, that's okay. Sorry, yeah, sorry about this. I, My, I uh, yeah, I mean I, multiple I, things at one at once th- here. This, but, this uh, was a lull in the show for sure. Where like there was it was. I would I would argue like up until this point, I would mm-hmm. say like th- this was like like a lower end AEW pay per view. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, it's really going to be these final three matches that I think are going to be people's uh, focus uh, of the show. If if you're coming away with a, a, a strong. A positive reaction so we go to the no dq match between christian cage and adam copeland for the tnt championship no dq match i thought this was very um clever in the fact that they they did a tlc match without advertising a tlc match to where your expectations would have been insane uh probably going into this and um and they they went out and they, they went did. more than tlc yes they they went uh tlcf yes mm-hmm. so I mean, they come out, first of all, like, if you want to say, like, this crowd, like, they were not in, like, the, the heat was lacking for a number of previous matches. The second they came out, they were red hot for this. And it kept up for 22 minutes in this match. So, um, Copeland just goes after Christian, knocks Nick Wayne into a wall. They fight into the crowd. Copeland comes off a balcony with a high cross. And then they make their way back to the ring and it's all Copeland until his shoulder goes into the post and cage takes over stomping the neck. And somewhere in all this Copeland gets busted over his left eye. And dude, this is going to look awful tomorrow. That's, that's mm-hmm. an Instagram day after shot. So cage is using the, uh, the good old trusty kendo stick, not a candy cane kendo stick, but just the regular variety. And then puts a chair on top of Copeland while applying a Boston crab Copeland fights back he fires off with his own kendo stick shots and applies the cross face including getting a piece of the chair to put in the mouth and then copeland pulls out the ladder and the crowd's chanting tlc cage cuts him off and then there's a sunset bomb by cage off the ladder into the into the ring and you're thinking at this point what more could you ask for from two men whose combined age is a hundred in this match after they gave you chairs, they gave you tables and they gave you ladders and the crowd starts chanting, we want fire. And then we get a concerto attempt by, but Nick Wayne runs in grabbing the chair away from Copeland. So this allows cage to get up low shots, uh, Copeland with a chair and then Copeland whips the chairs into the face of Cage and spears him through a table. And this crowd is going nuts at this point. It was like, you could just finish this. And this is perfect. Shane Wayne yanks Paul Turner out from counting. So Nick nails Copeland from behind with a belt shot. And then as much as we could focus on the fire or the ladders or any of the weapons, Maybe the scariest moment for me was watching Nick Wayne hit this Wayne's world to Adam Copeland, who Mm. had to be the most trusting guy possible with Nick Wayne to take this because dude, the Wayne's world, like it's a tough angle that you're coming at here. When we're talking about from the turnbuckle to the floor on a guy whose neck is uncompromisable and he took this thing and, you know, got up and continued the match. But uh, Nick Wayne was heavily involved here. He's brought into the ring and it, uh, 
Cage hits the kill switch, but Copeland kicks out. So then Cage and Nick Wayne bring out lighter fluid from under the steps. They they put it all over the table, and Cage comes over to Copeland. Go fuck yourself. And he goes to put Copeland through the table, but Copeland avoids uh, avoids going through, and he takes Nick Wayne and attempts to powerbomb him through the table, but uh, Nick Wayne just, like, slides off this thing. And Copeland goes back into the ring, stops a belt shot, and he uses Christian's own kill switch to pin Christian in 24 minutes and 47 seconds. And I thought this match was incredible. I would go so far as to say... um, of Copeland's uh, post-return 2020 onwards. I think this was his best match. Um, like, what what would be the, the runner-up? Like, the, the, greatest, the, the, the greatest match of all time, John. That was an excellent match. Like, that's yes. the one that comes to mind for me. That was a really <laughs> great match. Different circumstances. But it was pen, but a me, pandemic crowd or, like, you know, um, non-crowd. Even with the crowd differences, I thought this, this, was, this was just a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, match that these two had. Um, yeah. And this turned the show around completely from the get-go you know i mean for one thing this was like a a well-built story with two legitimate stars and um incredible crowd noise from the beginning and i it it's amazing because like how old are they like 49 they're 50 50 each oh god i would make the argument that as professional wrestlers they might be in their prime now, I'm not saying physically, okay? I don't think they can uh, accomplish what they used to during the TLC era. But wrestling Dude, they, is a t- They did a lot in this one. Like, not the crazy stunts of, mm-hmm. of old, but, I mean... They did a lot, This yeah. was just as compelling of a match in terms of, like, um, but, the, the smart use of the weapons and trying to get the most out of what, what they were going to use. Where those matches really kind of made their name off of being, like, some of the most spectacular stunt shows we've seen, wrestling allows veterans to employ their creativity their psychology and their acting ability which are things that might for a lot of people including these two get better with age so through those um i think developments uh, and advancements in both of their careers they're telling some of the best stories of their careers right now and tonight like clearly still enough physically to deliver a match of this quality so i i would very much at least try to suggest the argument that these two are doing some of the, at least tonight you know um was an example of them doing some of the best work of their entire careers so this was amazing uh worth noting as well that edge was wearing his wrestlemania 22 gear that's right which also contained of course a fa- very famous table flaming table spot with mcfoley yeah and i wonder if that encouraged the uh the fire chance if enough people maybe put two and two together there um because you think of that wrestlemania 22 like that's the image uh, you think of but maybe i'm giving mm. that too, too much credit here but it, this was like a really great match and, and as i did joke about uh two years ago when gcw was running the hammerstein ballroom poor nick wayne could not even wrestle in the state of new york and now they're doing fire in the state of new york that is weird why like what what changed um i don't know i i i would ask the state of new york but it it, it might be a process <laughs> to try and find find that answer out but uh, I suppose if you're running there. Nassau with ten thousand people, there there are um, different allowances. Um, I I don't know. That might that might in fact be the case way. Hmm. So then Killswitch is out to attack Adam Copeland, and he choke slams Copeland onto the chair, the like which is uh, open, and Killswitch wants to use his contract, which we are suddenly learning has a money in the bank uh, property to it, hmm. and Cage demands he give him the contract and kill switch is torn and then cage whispers something in his ear 
and Killswitch reluctantly hands over the contract, which Cage signs, has the referee ring the bell. He spears Adam Copeland and wins back his title in 13 seconds. And I saw a lot of back and forth in terms of uh, that this was a divisive decision among people. I mean, number one, it is, you know, very much, I would say, property of a, a WWE trope doing this this kind of a, of a cash-in, for lack of a better comparison. But on the other side, this is Copeland that is still chasing Christian. And number two, it's... Um, I, I think I think you look at it as you know the the idea of you know extending this program and how we can do that. Like this mm-hmm. was Copeland, like he leaves with the title. It's sort of like that. That's your mountaintop moment, and instead we've given him something to uh, continue after here. So I I did not have like a too negative of a feeling over this, and it's also kind of like here is the guy that kind of one of his big traits was he was the guy that the, the opportunist and mm-hmm. here it was the tables are turned on him so i did i didn't have as negative a, a takeaway and i just I, i'm not going to be too sour after seeing a match like this that i just thought was out of this world great i, I like the finish like yeah. I'll, I'll straight up you know i i felt th- and you're that- consistent you loved when when moose did this to josh alexander in front of his uh his baby i'm somebody who at the time you th- love baby faces <laughs> just failing in spectacular fashion after a big triumph i'm somebody who at the time when i first saw it um kind of got interested um in wrestling again because of the finger poke of doom so um i don't know how many people are turning off their uh, podcast this was not the finger poke (laughs) no i mean i i thought exactly the same thing as you like why kill this program right now when you still have so much to get through You're, you're trying to create a hero's journey for edge and you have a temporary sort of like you know moment of celebration giving him a lot of credibility as somebody who is more than capable of beating christian but you screw it out of him and in that process you're you're building this to me you're making this program that much hotter you're continuing the uh, sort of you know uh, parental abuse of um uh, kill switch here uh from 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 christian cage and i i just think this program is too hot to extinguish within two matches so i i i just think that they're going to carry this into the new year maybe for an even bigger stipulation and what could that be how do you top flaming tables i've got the answer a clockwork orangeville house of fun match what would that entail um going to orangeville number one and uh i don't know you go from there huh all right we'll that's all yeah i i think you um i mean they kind of gave you the tlc match here so i don't i really don't want to see them have to um like i, I i'm of two thoughts because i was i was the one who said like i, I don't want to necessarily see these guys have to kind of just play the greatest hits and go to this but then this was this, fantastic. This like, wasn't that. This wasn't. I mean, yes, it was TLC because you saw the weapon. I thought it was so really it. smart not to promote this. As, like, it would have been really easy to just come up with a new name and promise tables, ladders, and chairs with these two. Mm-hmm. But I think that would have, number one, you would have gotten the criticism that we're just retreading with these two. They're not doing anything new or fresh, whether that's fair or unfair. And number two, I think the expectation would have been so high because your reference point is all of yeah. those stunts and matches. Instead, it was like a no DQ match where you're expecting a fight, you're expecting a high quality, but you introduce these things organically in the match, and it was like it was a reward for you buying this pay-per-view, and you got more than you expected. I totally agree. You know, um, why play? Number one, I don't even know if they're allowed to um, use those letters in, in six. Maybe it'll be, be a CLT. No, they, they can't use TLC. They wouldn't be able to well, use you that. could use LCT, um, TCL. 
which actually I don't think you can. I think that's a TV company. Um, anyway, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing more storytelling from these two. I thought I, it's been great so far. And uh, Copeland's left in the ring, staggers to his feet, and the crowd uh, they, they cheer him on his way out. Now it is time for the Continental Classic final with the star Brian Danielson on commentary. I mean, making a last ditch effort to get commentator of the year in in my books here. He was amazing on commentary for this match, as always. Brian Stan level. Uh, that's the highest compliment I can give here for an analyst. So Brian is just stating he was too overconfident on Wednesday. He didn't focus on being the better technical wrestler and just came to blows with Eddie Kingston. And there was a moment in this match. He's just watching this and he just scoffs. He's like, I believe I lost to this guy. It was just, he was great uh, in this. So uh, Eddie's out. He's got the, the yellow and black Kawada style kick pads on and Early on, we're getting some guard play action from these two. Then Eddie is, uh, Brian is breaking down his feints and how great his striking is. Moxley can't get into that game. I was like, this is like a super level of like technical, like start that we're getting here. We're breaking down like faint techniques. And then Eddie Kingston goes for this suicide dive. And I thought this guy Mm. killed himself as he landed uh, coming down. And this led to his neck being attacked by Moxley and boy did Kingston sell this. Um, They have Moxley delivering Germans on the neck and then they get into a big chop battle. And at one point Moxley tweaks his knee and he staggers and gets caught by the Urican and Brian Danielson just yells, don't let this bum beat you Mox. And he gets chopped by Kingston and Kingston's yelling, you want a hundred percent motherfucker. And he keeps chopping him and he takes him to each corner to deliver the chops. And then a Northern lights bomb, but Moxley kicks out Kingston applies Moxley's own bulldog choke, which beat him in, in of course, in their matches back in uh, 2020, this was uh, the focus of Moxley's uh, victory. And it's followed by hammer and anvil elbows, which Danielson says these, these are not his specialty. And he reapplies the bulldog choke. But man, Moxley's moving his hips. He knows how to defend this. They drill this. And Moxley gets his own choke. Kingston lunges for the rope. Hits another Urican for a two count. And then a Northern Lights bomb. Moxley kicks out again. And they're on all fours. And they trade headbutts. But safe headbutts. Then slaps. An, and then as they're just pre- hitting all of these strikes out of nowhere. Moxley gets hit with the home run shot. The Urican lands. And it just Boom, hits him in the hits him on the button and he goes down and Kingston gets the win in 17 minutes and 16 seconds. I love this closing sequence, like where it was just the one big shot at the end. That was the the straw that broke the camel's back. And this celebration after, I mean, you want to talk about establishing a title as meaning so much. He was just like in tears here as he was presented with this championship, the the continental crown. And uh, again, he shouts out Mad Kurt into the camera And uh, this was awesome. And it wasn't just a fantastic match. It was a phenomenal presentation from the commentary, the seriousness, the techniques, the strengths, the weaknesses of both. I hope this is almost like a bit of a type of style we see when a big continental crown match takes place. Like it is sort of more focused on this. I, I watched this. I like, this is everything they need to be aiming for. I, I just thought this was phenomenal like i might still lean danielson and kingston this week as my favorite Mm -hmm. match of the tournament but in terms of like 
the everything involved, like I, I don't think you could have done better than this. I, I just thought they did a tremendous, tremendous job. You can't ask for much more than this for for the final of a of a tournament. Um, I thought they more than stuck this landing. I mean, it was already a match that I think was heavily anticipated, but they delivered that and then some. Um, when this you know entire tournament began and when they announced this new triple crown, I I I like many we're, were very skeptical. Uh, but now that we've seen the end, I mean. Not only was it helped by, I think, a serious presentation that at the time, like when they announced it, felt almost like a direct sort of answer for the the criticisms of the devil storyline and, and just a lot of like, you know, more sports entertainment like angles. Um, and it's it's arguably saved the last month or so of AEW's um, sort of like, you know, reception. Uh, so it's a, it. Thankfully, they have this as a guiding light for next year because um, I would have been very scared if there was not a Continental Classic this year, and you know, where we'd be expecting more of what we haven't in, enjoyed. But it's also um, the fact that you have not just a tournament, but the ter- a tournament directly attached to one of the most beloved wrestlers in the entire world, and Eddie Kingston, and the idea and the meaning behind Triple Crown meaning so much more to him because he grew up idolizing, you know, the, this this the people who have won this championship, and to at least give what feels like a bit of a sort of you know North American version of that you know it means that much more to him and i i thought they nailed it with the final you know having eddie be the one to, to, to face his one of his best friends and, and longtime rivals finally beating mox um all in all i think great storytelling on top of great wrestling as well i don't think there was anyone that was going to be able to sell this accomplishment better than eddie kingston who does not even need a microphone to convey the, the, those emotions and this was a tremendous post-match as well so great so he's, and he's going to be busy He's going to work uh, to continue to work New Japan, maybe the occasional ROH show and whatever continent, every continent. I mean, th- this guy should be one of your top baby faces on AEW. Like that that should be his role. Um mm-hmm. but uh, and then the two hugged afterwards as well. That was a cool moment and um uh w- one of their best pay-per-view moments and uh, one that did not involve a a countdown timer. Um countdown timer the exploding barbed wire death match <laughs> as you may have yeah man i mean it's just a couple years removed from that one i think of omega and, and jerk uh moxley sorry uh omega moxley mainly but you're right yeah yeah so orange cassidy dante is on dynamite and then the ftr house of black match that has been built up for weeks will be on collision next saturday a tag match and that takes us to mjf and samoa joe for the aw championship and they had this big Long Island centric video for MJF with all of these P. I mean, they just made this guy like, let, let's just nominate this guy as like the next mayor elect of a uh, of uh, mm-hmm. Plains View. So he comes out and plenty of a uh, creative pro uh, performers and uh, students in this video as well. And MJF comes out to a to a hero's response and he points to the entrance and here to surprise us, Adam Cole coming out on crutches. So MJF avoids a muscle buster early on, and he's selling this shoulder, and that's the whole focus of this match for Samoa Joe. Multiple times, MJF calls for this kangaroo kick, and there was no way Joe was taking this kangaroo kick. He stopped him at every chance, slingshot him over the top, and MJF, with his one shoulder, felt he had the recuperative ability of Dustin Rhodes, uh, went went for a, to skin the cat here, and uh, Joe just nailed him upside down, booted him to the floor. And then he hits MJF with a muscle buster on the edge of the apron with Cole looking horrified at this. MJF fights back, 
with one arm. He thumbs Joe in the eye, tries to lift him, but he collapses and then manages a heat seeker, tries for another. Joe lifts him and it's turned into a sunset flip roll up. He goes for the salt of the earth, but can't fully apply it. So Joe reverses uh, to apply the Fujiwara armbar. MJF gets out and they run into Bryce Rensburg in the corner. And dude, it was like a collective uh, from this crowd. Like they knew we're not getting the Continental Classic final uh, booking wise here. But Bryce I mean, goes come on, down. everybody knew the devil shit was, was going to happen in this. Match, yes. Right? Uh, so MJF is smiling at this because he then hits uh, uh, he hits a low blow and lifts up Joe, marches to the center of the ring, and he hits this dude with the F5. And there he is down on the center. Cole is rallying MJF. He gets on top. Bryce recovers, and Joe kicks out. And as MJF gets the ring, Cole is stumbling in his jacket looking for this uh, dynamite ring, hands it off to MJF, but he's caught in the coquina clutch. MJF does the uh, the Bret Hart kick off the turnbuckle, lands on top, but Joe transitions back to the coquina, and MJF is going out. One arm goes down, second arm goes down, and then they pull the arm up for the third time, and the arm goes down. Oh, it's just like the baby face lost to the three arms going down. I mean, a monumental moment here in wrestling history, and Joe wins the title in 17 minutes and 53 seconds in about as clean a way as you could, and I don't want to say that I have telegraphed this all year, but we all know that uh, MJF's mom was there in attendance in, the, in his hometown, and he lost. It's been a threat Very all year true. long way. This has been a, a curse. And uh, Samoa Joe is your new world champion. Before we get to the post-match, uh, your thoughts on, on this match. I, I do not think this this reached the Grand Slam level, which I thought was a, a hell of a match they had mm. back at Arthur Ashe Stadium. Maybe you could be right. Um, I I feel like they're different enough that I, I don't know if if, if it's um like um that, that direct of a comparison. For one thing, I mean, for all we know, MJF is really injured. And they played that shoulder up, I thought, very well throughout the entire match. Um, I thought the heat was insane throughout this entire thing. I also felt it was um oddly, like, sweet to see MJF perched up in the corner as the match was about to begin and, like, cracking us like a genuine smile you know it, it almost looked like he was breaking character and just kind of absorbing the moment for 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 once and obviously well look given, at this it's like it's yeah. it's not just like here your your champion coming to your hometown it's like dude it's a, it's a sold out venue like you you mm-hmm. should be really proud of the uh, of that totally. fact i mean i would have like here's a guy who is now can claim you know i i headlined wembley with Eighty thousand paid and i'm sure this means almost as much the fact that you're in long island and and you didn't do like a bad number like coming in like it'd be you know it'd be disappointing if he came in here in his hometown and it was like you know six seven thousand but they moved yeah. a lot of tickets recently i also wonder if like you know really considerable negative criticism coming off of several of his segments over the past several months uh as he addressed you know in the players tribune article um might have waited really, really great piece very if you good read it yeah, might have weighed on him too, where where he wasn't exactly sure what the response was going to be. And when he was met with that hometown welcome, I mean, it was actually very touching. And I thought they proceeded to have a really good storytelling match. Um, the finish, though, I love, dude. Okay, like I feel like we've seen. So uh, to me, like this MJF run has all about, has all been about like at least for the early portion about um sort of identifying tropes in professional wrestling and just either fully diving in or maybe um 
um, completely breaking them and playing with audience expectations. And I felt it was very fitting for the entire run to end based off of the, one of the most cliched spots in professional wrestling and having our expectations be completely subverted and having a championship reign end by that sort of like, you know, three, three, um, uh, three arm lift. I thought it was a great end to the, to the, to the match. So Adam Cole gets into the ring. The whole crowd is chanting bullshit and the devil's masked men surround the ring and they go to attack Max. They pull aside Adam Cole. They're holding him down and Cole is saying, hit me. And Max is saying, don't you hit him. You hit me. And the lights go out for a long time. And then they come on and Adam Cole is seated in the chair, flanked by the masked men who reveal themselves as Roderick Strong, Wardlow, Matt Taven, and Mike Bennett, who are the masked men, the unmasked men of the devil, Adam Cole. And Max is heartbroken as he sees Adam Cole, and they jump him, they attack him. Wardlow power bombs Max, and the announcers are in shock as the show goes off the air with the devil revealed. So we got the reveal. Yeah, we were wondering if um, the storyline was going to come to an end, at least the the you know mystery portion, and they did. Um, so I guess the it, question not, is not like they made a big push for it either. Like if yeah. you you could have argued like they they could have made a bigger deal out of this. Like I I I don't think you had people buying this show expecting the the payoff. Like it's nice yeah. when you reward your audience as well, but I think this was more than the time to get yeah. the mystery. Like it, it had reached, I think for some, they were never on board with it. And at least now we're going to the next chapter where hopefully we can get away from some of the more cartoonish aspects of it to mm -hmm. a more proper feud. And, and as well, I mean, there, there's going to be lots of like storyline here with MJF and you're probably going to see quite the, uh, the blurring of the lines here of what is going on, what is not his injuries and I would say at the very least, he probably should disappear for some time until we we see his response. Like, I would not expect him to be back on Wednesday, for instance. Like, he should disappear and lead to people's speculation on what, what is going on with him and and go from there right yeah um i i think it's the perfect out you know like he's not necessarily i mean for one thing he is out possibly due to injury but he's also out due to heartbreak which i i think is an even more you know well, that, that, that could be six, six to eight months potentially yeah that's, that's it man. that's like an acl so i'm curious to know if if maybe the, this was always the plan to reveal at the end of worlds and in long island or were they going to delay this until adam cole could actually return and what is the status what is the health status of an adam cole are we going to see him week to week was this just you know hey a big appearance on a big show and then adam cole continues to maybe go away for a while um still a lot of questions maybe what do you feel about the selection of the mass men and, and what is essentially now a stable with the kingdom and Wardlow? I thought that Adam Cole was the safest pick and one that I didn't like. Th there's enough that they have built up that, that we had stated, like when, like had they done Adam Cole and MJF, like way back when this started and the turn comes three or four weeks in, it's like, okay, here's another wrestling turn. But instead it's like, you have seen these two, like you've seen the, this like bond that when the turn comes, it's going to mean something because the audience I think is invested in this. So I thought he was the safe pick to go with. I don't think any of the the WWE releases would have been met positively, like none of them. Um, it, it, like the options were very low. You could have gone for some crazy name to just get some shock value, but I I thought that it was a very, very small list of people that would not be met 
negatively and Cole was probably your safest that has a storyline reason that you can tie it in together. Like right down to like his plan was to replace Max at the last pay-per-view and cost him his title. Um, And it was thwarted by Max coming to the, to save his friend. Um, You know, there's a lot that they can explain that that can totally make sense with all of this. And you can put enough obstacles in Max's way before he can get to Adam Cole. Once he is healthy, like it's not, Mm -hmm. It's not the end of the world that he can't, even though the pay-per-view is named as such, um, that that he can't wrestle next month or at Revolution. I think it's a blessing, honestly. Like I, I could see this at this point maybe being the peak to towards um, All In, and I think given the potential time off of, of Max and the series of matches you might be able to have with the rest of this lost uh, uh, faction. I, I think it stands a decent chance of being able to, you know, delay the match itself until August. Um, yeah, all that said, you know, we were we've been talking, I think, for weeks about who this person is. And by the time it's revealed, will we be disappointed? And I can't say I'm disappointed. Like, you know, Adam Cole is probably like such an obvious pick that maybe for that reason, I was dismissing it. Like, there's no way it, it could just be, you know, as simple as that. They went with a simple option. And from a storytelling standpoint, I'm I'm satisfied. Like you got logic, okay, attached to it. You know, everything to my knowledge make makes sense if you do, run run it back and and just you know replay everything without the the idea that Adam Cole has been the devil. I I think it makes sense. So I'm I'm okay if, with it. What yeah. if Adam Cole explains? Yeah, you were such a great friend, Max. Remember those sneakers you gave me right before Grand Slam that I wore for the first time coming out to the ring, and I jumped <sighs> off that apron. Mm, all be. your fault i mean it could be as simple as hey you beat me at wembley you robbed me of the biggest moment of my career you took you, my you spot can, yeah you know I, I think like there is a lot and, and i think for the people that like i think there were the the strongest percentage of people i think were in the middle of this one where this was dragging on they weren't quite enamored with it they had their issues with it but it was a salvageable angle that hopefully now this they can bring them in. I think it was a smaller that were absolutely hating it or absolutely loving it. Like a lot of it was more so a lot of it um, were moments that we absolutely loved or absolutely hated. Yeah. And, and I think the makeup of the masked men, it was super goofy. And I think we, we can eliminate that uh, save for probably some merchandising of, of devil related uh, merch. Um, the, the solo uh, media portion with Tony Khan is beginning now. So, uh, we will keep people posted, but that was uh, World's End that I think was totally off the back of the last three matches that I, I would say would be the, the key stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I have a really hard time picking between the like my match of the night was between the the TNT match and the Continental Classic final. I thought th- mm-hmm. those were my two that um, it's really hard for me to pick one over the other, maybe lean continental classic but I, I thought those two were just they made the pay-per-view for me those two and i i enjoyed the main event you got the big reveal at the end so like that was probably a bonus for people that bought this and maybe didn't know if they were getting that either so yeah um that was it but i i would say like prior to that um tnt match like outside of the uh the all-star eight man like there was a lot of disappointing stuff on on this show that did not live up to like if you want to kind of you know grade this as a whole like this was not like your start to stop 
excellent pay-per-view with maybe one down match like th- there were several down matches on this show agreed i think history will look back fondly on, on this show because of the strength of the last three matches because they were very very strong and you had a significant reveal the culmination of, of a big storyline to, to close the show uh, but in recapping the show i i certainly couldn't can't forget about maybe the real lull that we saw um throughout a string of, of matches in the middle yeah and and i i think it maybe points to maybe an uneven spread of airtime you know there are certain storylines that are collision exclusive um like an abaddon versus julia hart or um i don't know a reho that really um, only got um matches sure but but not much beyond that in terms of story so it call uh, maybe that it calls into question like what they can do to maybe even out some of it but um i'm going thumbs like I'm going thumbs up overall, just off of the strength of of the last three matches. It's it's and, and like we're talking like almost two hours between those three matches, so mm. it's like it's a sizable portion of the show that I, I like. I, I would have a really hard time giving this. Uh, um, uh, but, but maybe I, in this in this new wave of things, like if we talk about a blow away great AEW show, is like a thumb. We need we need more more different variations of fingers and they're more. It's more like thumbs at like I think maybe ten o'clock. You know, like can't like close to a ten. Oh, whoa, see, whoa, what's you. going on? There's a uh, bubble. My my Apple um, uh, OS is that two thumbs up between you and Apple? Okay, yeah. See, it even does that. Oh, wonderful. Uh, yeah. I don't I don't have anywhere near the technology that you do. Okay, um, we're gonna go on uh, to to phone calls now. Um, we're gonna ask the people like uh, keep things uh, relatively brief. Um, yes, my, my throat is like falling apart as, yeah. as we speak here and it is late on the east coast but uh let us open up the phone lines but if you're gonna go to us if you're gonna send a super chat you can go as long as you want because jake hollinar sends one of five dollars thank you jake for the support he says i felt like i was watching masala versus kobashi from 2003 and noah again that's how incredible this final was the c2 is an overall success for AEW. Uh, I, th- I think that would be the the general sentiment most out i thought it was an, as we spoke about earlier this week i thought it was a, a tremendous first tournament for them and i think that um it it sets the expectations that much higher for next year agreed uh let's go to our phone calls and of course we open these phone lines up for all post wrestling cafe patrons postwrestlingcafe.com is where you can get our bonus shows our entire archive of over a thousand bonus shows you get podcasts with john and i ad ad free uh commercial free you get rewind a smackdown exclusively on fridays and next week you will be getting our wrestle kingdom 18 review uh on thursday i believe yes thursday, thursday we're going to be doing a show with bruce lord the three of us reviewing wrestle kingdom 18 and that will be available exclusively for post wrestling cafe members up at postwrestlingcafe.com and also as a bonus for cafe members next sunday night at 8 Eastern, we're going to be going live with our best and worst of show for 2023 with Braden Harrington and Davey Portman. Now, if you want to wait till uh, the following day, it will be up for everybody. But if you want to join us live in the chat and have a, a lot of fun with our picks and everything, live Sunday night, 8 Eastern for all members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. And joining us for that Wrestle Kingdom review will be our first caller here, our New Japan Pro Wrestling reviewer, Bruce Lord. Welcome to the show, Bruce. Evening, guys. Yeah, very much looking forward to talking about the crossroads that New Japan is at with you guys in a few days. But as I think tonight's show proved, 
AEW is also a company that is very much at a crossroads. Uh, and as a result, I think kind of like Full Gear, this was a much more of a mixed AEW pay-per-view than we are normally used uh, to, but I think for very different reasons. As far as the elephant in the room goes, um, I hope that the reporters in the room are actually asking trenchant questions uh, about this and kind of holding Tony's feet to the fire uh, and not just the usual when are you coming to Detroit again or whatever it might be? I hope that if there is a problem, if there is a situation, I hope that it's handled better there than it has been in other companies. Uh, and I also hope that um, if there are allegations being made or allegations being raised, that they're being done with the kind of consent and agreement of any of the aggrieved parties. And not just because people are getting into arguments on social media, because using those sorts of things just to win an online argument is, is, is not cool and, and not okay. But, Leaving that aside, um, as far as the actual substance of this goes, I think I'm pretty much in agreement with you, uh, you know, kind of heading into those last three matches. Um, my friends, my brother and I who are watching the show, were just kind of thinking, oh, man, they kind of they got to pull some stuff out here in the last moments. And uh, I absolutely had complete, excuse me, faith in um, the C2 finish. And boy, howdy, did that ever deliver, um, you know. I, I think that, you know, Tony's comments on the pre-show media call about using concrete ratings data emerging from the C2 to shape the company uh, moving forward. Very encouraging to folks like myself, uh, who've kind of been disappointed in some of the AEW main event programming. Yet the fact that not just the finish to this tournament, but the tournament overall was something that seemed to come basically out of nowhere with such little fanfare, you know, with not a lot of announcement as to who the participants were. And yet it built towards a finish that felt as organic, as satisfying, as, as perfect and ideal as this going into it. I was perfectly fine with either man winning. There were so many uh, stories, so many, you know, future possibilities, not just for them, but for everybody else uh, in the tournament, you know, it's hard not to at least have hold out some sort of hope uh, for AEW kind of turning things around after the very rough patch that they've been going through for the past few months when you have something uh, as positive as the C2 now in the books. And I think, you know, it really gives a lot of hope to those of us who are, were hoping for AEW to be something markedly different than the existing product uh, on American television. So that was, I, I thought they absolutely nailed the landing. Uh, you know, obviously hats off to both guys. Just just a fantastic match. Um, to your point, Way, about just the MJF finish, not only did I think the finish to that match was like a great, uh, you know, kind of, you know, putting the shine on a spot that we never expect to pay off, but it also I think is a nice, um, almost make good for those of us who've been kind of complaining about how, you know, sort of Super Cena or Hogan-like so many of the MJF matches have been, right? The idea that, no, just all of the damage, all of the accrual of the assaults and beatdowns and Joe choking him out and then and, and the beatdown from the, the, you know, the Putty Patrol a couple of days ago. The fact that all of those things added up to finally take MJF down, that's a satisfying and logical conclusion to this story. I don't really care about the reveal of who it is. It spins the title away from this uh, business and, you know, uh, the MJF and Cole verse can kind of play itself out as it does we have all sorts of exciting new possibilities for title matches moving forward so at least as far as all of that goes uh yeah a kind of a bit of a bumpy road to get here and a bit of a bumpy pay-per-view but kind of finish uh finished well and i'm optimistic about where things are going from here on out thank well thank you, you bruce much, and we uh we look forward to chatting with you on on thursday after uh after wrestle kingdom and many more hours of pro wrestling <laughs> me as well guys take care and have a good new year all right. Thank you, Bruce. Um, just some notes from uh, from the press conference, and this is coming uh, courtesy of Brandon Thurston. Um, nothing too significant here, but um, Tony Khan reiterated that it was a sellout tonight. Expects 
over 100,000 buys for this pay-per-view and did confirm some of the people moving on. Said uh, wishing QT Marshall the best of luck. Confirmed that Andrade's contract is up and he's leaving AEW on good terms. And also congratulated Raphael Morphy, who's their uh, their live events executive, who is also finishing up tonight. Let's go up next to Andy B. Welcome, Andy. Hi, guys. How are you? Wanted to wish you a happy new year. Thank you. You too. Um, guys, so I wanted to say a bit of a mixed bag with this show. I I wasn't particularly invested in any of the matches other than the last three. And I thought the crowd kind of reflected that. Um, but however, my takeaway from this night is pretty positive because I was there for Eddie versus John Moxley. And I thought those guys delivered in spades. Um, it's very rare that you get to see this sort of cathartic moment that's been festering around for some time. And then it plays out. And I just thought it was incredible. I think this was... Um, you know, I think this was just like this incredible moment that um, I've been looking forward to for so long and it's hard not to feel great for Eddie Kingston who's had this unbelievable year, who's gone to Japan, competed in the G1, checked off so many personal milestones. What do you guys um, see coming off his reign as um, Triple Crown Champion? So after he loses the belt? Uh, uh, no, no. What do you guys think? How do you guys think this run plays out? Like, do you think? Do you see him uh, being this champion who's defending across uh, promotions? What do you think? Um, how do you well, think this plays out? I mean, that's sort of the idea, right? Like, he's already scheduled for um, Battle in the Valley, I believe, as the next New Japan show. Um, in, in the right? Um, and as far as his ROH activity, I suppose that remains to be seen. Um, but I, 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 I expect him to be pretty active this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like who, um. Somebody might have brought up Swerve in the chat room. And because Swerve is, is you know, obviously not going to be facing MJF, I also don't know if I see him facing Samoa Joe um, as a heel. I could see Kingston and Swerve as a possibility. Uh, fair enough. I think that'd be interesting, guys. So um, I just wanted to comment on the devil reveal a little bit. I think while like Joe finishing was like quite a nice uh, moment for the show, um, I was a bit wishy-washy on the actual devil reveal because that brochacho story i was really in love with when it first happened and like i really came to love that pairing of mjf and adam cole so whenever that breakup was going to happen it was always going to be like this heartbreaking moment and i think it was just rooted in genuine human emotion but by throwing like this devil stuff at it and all of these unnecessary layers I feel like you've kind of diluted what should have been like such an organic, like heated feud. Like it feels pretty disappointing. Where do you guys fall on that? So remind me, like when was the devil introduced before or after Cole's injury? Um, a little bit before, I think. Okay. Interesting. Um, uh, clearly they were looking for a mystery to draw viewers in, um, and setting up a, a reveal that was that much bigger. I don't. Again, I don't hate whodunits. I I just like to see them executed well, and I, I you can make the argument that this wasn't executed all that well throughout. I think you have to reserve judgment too on like where the program goes now, based on the follow up. Now you've done the reveal, you've gotten through that. Now it's time to get into kind of the meat and potatoes of a of a feud that has to probably be on the back burner for quite a while before you can get to the match and. Um, and Cole's promo, like Cole should have a big promo on, on Wednesday. I would well, think. he has to, for, for one thing, he has to explain why he helped another man win the championship rather than either himself, if he's healthy, or one of his associates. You know, maybe that might be a first and foremost sort of like, um, I guess, logic gap. But I'm sure they'll address it. Let's go up next to Brian. Thank you, Andy, for the call. Hey, Brian, what's up? 
Hey guys, yeah, Happy New Year. Um, thank you for the review tonight, and also that top-notch review of Backlash 2007. And thank you. Uh, rest in peace to Matt Kurt. Um, but yeah, this pay-per-view reminded me in general of uh, Double or Nothing this year, and that it started pretty fun, ended strong with the remaining matches, in the case of tonight, the final three, or technically four, but pretty average overall for the bulk of the show in the middle. Nothing really stood out to me in a good way, outside of Swerve Strickland and how he carried himself. Uh, he's just on fire now. Uh, but then Christian and Copeland happened, and that was just so hot. I really liked how that all was done. Kingston versus Mosley was my match of the night and a great end to this first Continental Classic, and they made mention that they're definitely doing another one next year. And I like the main event and closing angle. Samoa Joe winning the world title is really the side story of this MJF saga. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how long he's going to hold the title. What? Sorry. Oh, I'm saying unfortunately, like really kind of overshadowed oh. by the end of the night. Yeah, definitely unfortunately. But um, I, I've been a fan of his for close to 20 years, even with all the bad TV booking he's encountered. So I'm very happy Joe has gone from king of television to AEW world champion. And uh, I'm satisfied with the uh, reveal. Um, wasn't expecting Cole given his injury, but, you know, given how MJF state of things, he could heal up and then Cole can have time to heal up as MJF fights his associates. And not only can the mask goons stop being mask goons, but Roderick Strong, the kingdom can pretty much stop being clowns from the looks of it. Uh, no, no neck brace, none of that. So um, that would have been a bit of a giveaway. Promising. The neck brace with the mask, I think would have been a bit of a giveaway, but um, we'll see. Yeah. yeah, we hope so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Also, uh, re- yeah, absolutely. And uh, also reuni- reunion of the truly original kingdom of ROH, which started with um, uh, Cole and Bennett with Maria, and then they brought in mm-hmm. Taven. Just right. saying that. So thanks again, guys. Have a good night. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Brian. So um, just going back to the presser. So it was brought up and Tony Khan was asked, is Chris Jericho or was he under any kind of investigation? And Tony Khan's response was that he can't speak to Internet unsourced rumors and repeated about uh, safety and open doors in AEW. So it looks like he is not going to go into any kind of um, discussion over this. But I mean, based on that answer, I mean, you can take from it what, what, what you will. Well, thank you to whoever asked that question. Yes, uh, it was very important and uh, that these questions be asked. And uh, applause to those that brought this up. Absolutely. Let's go up next to Muggin. Hey, Muggin. The devil is a lie. The devil is a lie. The devil is a lie. Yes. That's a Rick Ross song, so I had to say that. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I had to. Maybe that music. Anyway, um, the main event was okay. The main event was okay. I'm very happy that Joe became world champion. And um, the uh, the devil reveal, look, sometimes predictable is the best option they have. And they, and they pulled the trigger with Cole, you know, reunited with the kingdom and Roddy and uh, and uh, having Wardlow as a stable for, for MGF to fight to, to face when he heals up from, uh, his, uh, from his sabbatical. And um, there's another takeaway from this. I'm glad Roddy ditched, is going to ditch the neck brace. And he's going he's gonna to stop being... Uh, He's gonna stop like you know quoting a streetcar named Desire. I didn't realize he was doing that. Yeah, because the way he calls Adam's name is very reminiscent of Brando calling Stella. Okay. Yes. And um, the Copeland Copeland and Cage was great. The post match really took me out of it because because you know with Killswitch winning the Battle Royal, 
on, on zero hour. I figured like I, I figured maybe that you know Kill Switch would you know cash it in and and turn on Christian anyway because because that story needs that story has, has yet to find a payoff. And now they're right back where they started. Mm, well, you could still pay that that off in the future. Um, for now though, they are in the middle of the Christian Adam Copeland storyline. And again, I I think there's a trilogy to be had here. So the Chris the the, the kill switch thing is still very much in play. Um, I just think they're trying to maybe let it simmer while your Adam Copeland and, and Christian feud you know come finishes. I'm sure there's a big role left for him in all of this. I, I hope because I mean it's been going on for a year plus. You yeah. know. And uh, yeah, that really that, that, that did sound me a little bit. But to me, the match of the night was Eddie Kingston and John Moxley, because mm. to me, the, the, like to me that like Eddie's comeback during the con during the C two was like the best story going. It was the best story because he bounced back from he bounced back from zero two, and he eventually and he eventually losses to uh, to Brian and to Moxley. Because mm. I mean, because the, the two matches he had with uh, with Moxley during COVID, including the I Quit match, is still fresh in my head. Yeah, and. And to me, it like to me, like the self-loathing, the self-loathing anger of the world. Eddie Kingston died in that in that match. Hmm. We'll see. And he grew up like this, like this, whole, like this whole Continental Classic was Eddie Kingston's Eddie Kingston's mature, you know, Eddie Kingston's maturity, you know, mm-hmm. manifesting. And now he has three world, cha- he has three championships. So it's. Hmm. Thank you, Muggin, for the call. Appreciate it. Take care. Appreciate it, Muggin. Thank you. Let's go up next to Hansi. Our last call of the evening. Hey, Hansi. What's going on, man? Um. I thought I yeah no I I was I was okay with the devil reveal um I I thought I I put a wild prediction that I, that I thought it was gonna be Tony Khan and then it was gonna be like like a, an accumulation of everyone that he pissed off and I thought it was gonna be because I I thought the Tribune article I I know he was like giving credit to AW but for some reason I thought also it came off like a finale of AW kind of in a way Could so be I, I thought that. like. But but like but but apparently he resigned, so I you know I'm I'm off on that. But I I'm I'm okay with the Adam Cole thing as long as like you know they explain that the pro like you know if they do the bully rake explanation of like the aces of eight stuff because like the aces of eight stuff was kind of like silly, but then bully ray at least put it together and in that one episode. Um, I thought the um Edge and uh, Christian match was really was really good. I I liked the I liked it. Uh, it fits in the theme of Edge's career. He. Didn't win a he didn't win a championship since coming back in any company. He won it and he got taken away. And you know, I thought like uh, redoing that to, um, you know, bringing back like his uh, 2006, um, you know, trope, whatever. I thought it worked out, even though it kind of came off random, whatever. But I still I still liked it, and I, I liked that Christian still making the title feel important because, uh, you know, for the last six months he's like you know rebuilt that title with Luchasaurus's reign and now his reign and now getting desperate with that and uh finally the the the, the last match uh the kingston moxley match was really really good probably my favorite match of the night whatever on uh, the next time that they uh if, the, if they're gonna ha- if they do like announce a deal streaming deal whatever or if they like have uh like you know like a more organized effort to do this tournament i would actually like the semifinals to be on a pay-per-view and the finals like do you think if they focus the build for for one pay-per-view build for this Continental Classic, and you have a good portion dedicated to it, I think people will be happy because it will be more wrestling orientated. So, do you guys see that like they organize it more where the accumulation becomes like an annual thing for maybe its own special or at one of the pay per views? And I'll take your comments off here. Happy New Year, peace out, guys. Thank you, Thanks, Hansi. Hansi. Happy New Year. I don't think AEW pay per views have a problem with having heavy wrestling content. I kind of like this the separation. Like I. 
I, I don't need to. See, I think it's it's challenging enough when we see these G ones where you've got to do your your A and B block finals, and then for the B block they have to come back the next day and do a huge final. And to ask them to do that in the same night at the level that the audience wants, like just imagine Kingston and Danielson doing that match tonight and then coming back with him and Moxley. I I think you want to s- separate them. It also like for all we talk about, like people that don't get spots on the pay-per-view. I mean, then you're you're taking up like more spots with fewer people. Um, I, I thought the way that they did it was uh, I think this way was preferable to uh, at least, you know, have the, the round robin and playoffs on TV and build to the final. Let's go right now to forum.postwrestling.com for some of your feedback. And we we might have to cut the show um, a bit shorter, so we might not get to everybody's feedback. Okay, Uh, we're going to go to Dustin from Maui. It was a great show overall. I'm just glad that the devil storyline is over. looks like MJF might be taking a break to recover after the clean loss. So was Samoa Joe working with Adam Cole, Wardlow, and Kingdom the whole time? Well, that's that's the idea was that he recently struck a deal with, uh, you know, he got he got the title out of it and he was able to uh, assist their their desires. It was a pleasure working with you. Yeah, it was. That was it. Yes, I, I think they made that that clear that distinction that Joe is not part of this group. And it was Cole who encouraged MJF to partner with Joe, I believe. Yes. Yes. We've got a Cody from Maine who says the uh, typically bloated pay-per-view card with an uh, with an atypically disinterested crowd until the last three matches. Meryl Andrade was DOA. Swerve did not need to go nearly 10 minutes with Dustin after pulverizing his ankle. That could should have been a promo segment that ended with that spot. And then there's Chris Jericho. It cast a dark cloud over this event, and they couldn't shake until the final three matches. I love the finish to Copeland and Cage to continue both their stories. The C2 final was everything it needed to be, with Danielson amplifying the presentation tenfold. What a year for Kingston after being seemingly relegated to ROH. I love the shock finish of the main event. Joe's finish has always been treated seriously, and with the interest, with the injuries they've tied for Max, he finally ran out of steam. Uh, all in all, middle-of-the-road pay-per-view that joins a few others in being overshadowed by events out of the ring. All right. Um... I'm going to skip over Mark's because Mark goes like pretty extensively here into like his, his opinions and thoughts on the Jericho story. And I, I don't discourage people from, from going to read this, but a lot of this is like his opinions of such. And, and I really don't want to get in, into the weeds about a lot of these uh, specifics. So if people want to read this, you can go onto the forum. Um, John from Montana, keeping Jericho on the show made that show feel really awkward. Um, he goes on Copeland and Christian was the real standout of the pay-per-view. I'm hoping that with taking the belt off of MJF is to allow him some time to rest and recover. I really like the match. Devil angle played out basically the way we all thought an underwhelming pay-per-view overall. Okay. Uh, all right, let's go up next to Jay from Colorado match of the night was Christian versus Copeland. It's amazing to watch two guys who were medically retired five years ago, work as good as the younger guys. I enjoyed MJF and Joe, but was completely surprised by the ending. Not the devil thing as I think we all expected it to be Adam, but the way MJF lost, I didn't love it, but I do enjoy being surprised. And that definitely surprised me. Seven out of 10 show for me. Andrew from Cape Breton. So I made the mistake of buying the pay-per-view on my cable service provider without realizing that the power grid in Cape Breton is held together by duct tape and prayers as my power went out during the Copeland cage match. It actually is back on now. From what I did watch, I thought the show was fine, but colored too much by the Jericho match. I would argue it's the worst match in AEW history, despite the efforts of everyone involved. The fact that they let Jericho wrestle after everything that went on today might be the worst thing AEW has ever done. And I'm including everything that went on with CM Punk. I guess I'm biased as one of the tweets, um, that Kylie Ray liked was one that I made um, goes on to say it felt like all the goodwill they built up from the continental classic died tonight. It may have been one of the worst pay-per-view experiences. 
Thank you, everybody, for your feedback. Um, certainly, big topic of the show um, was Chris Jericho, and not necessarily some of the um, other storyline things, or at least I should say one of the big stories coming out of this. So I imagine we'll get um, a lot more follow-up, at least from discourse, um, over the next week. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very tricky topic to see like how much it is going to be addressed, um, because... I mean, it's like tonight they will be in front of the media, but then it will be it, it it's it's really hard to say like if like how much uh, focus and attention this will uh, receive and 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 what the next steps are uh, moving forward. But I, I was very happy to see that it was at least brought up at the press conference with Tony Khan. All right. That's going to wrap us up. Uh, Way and I are back on Monday night with Rewind to Raw. And after this past week, uh, our schedule is pretty well back to normal uh, this week. So with with all of the big shows coming up this week, we'll have uh, myself and Way after the day one edition of Raw Monday. And then Brandon Davey up Tuesday after New Year's Evil. Uh, Thurston and I are back Wednesday. And we're going to be joined by Chris Samsa uh, ahead of Russell Kingdom 18. And we'll be talking about all of the fallout from Worlds Collide as well. And uh, if you have made it this far into the review All we ask, uh, please like and subscribe here on the channel at youtube.com slash post wrestling. We appreciate all of our listeners out there, whether you on the cafe or just simply want to subscribe here to the channel and uh, and hear our wonderful voices multiple times uh, per week. So that is it. Have a, a wonderful New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, everybody. And we'll speak with you on Monday night. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy and delicious breads, buns and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.